I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> the Cell. Do you believe there's a part of yourself that you don't show anybody? When I'm inside... These girls were kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. Our killer is a white male, about 30 years old. Carl Rudolph Starger once had the house under surveillance for about 20 minutes. He keeps them in this thing for about 40 hours. And after 40 hours, the water starts. And it doesn't stop. There is a girl that is missing. Her name is Julia Hickson. He is the only one that knows where she is. If he was conscious, do you think that he would tell you where she is? Are you sure? I'm sure. You bring in this monster, and you're asking her to go into that mine. This one's an ancient movie that most of you hopefully, reliably will never have heard of. Um, and we saw it when it came out in the cinema. Did we? Did we see this at the cinema? We did, because we've never seen it on DVD. Oh. It was uh, from the year 2000, and it was August the 18th. So um, it was just after my birthday. We had only just got together. Oh, good. And you took me to see this? Look. On the surface, this should be exactly what we like. You had a big thing for uh, Sons of the Lambs mm-hmm. and uh, and Thomas Harris in general, question mark? D- I, d- yeah, I, I really, really like Manhunter mm. and uh, the, the creators of this particular film have a major Jones for Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs. Yes, they do. I'm going to say content warning for this episode. This one gets pretty hardcore. If serial killers and what they do to people when alive or dead are really not your thing and you don't want to have it described to you, skip this one. And you can instead... Track down the May 31st, 2021 episode of Leftover Army Monsters, which is a kaiju podcast hosted by our friend Dan Hepner. And on this episode, Sharon and I guested and we talked all about Tremors. It was a ton of fun. Here's a clip. She's on the little pogo stick. And I just want to mention this thing because I said to our child, who is now 12, I was just like, right, let's just see if this crosses generations. What's that called? And they said, um, portable trampoline? So that is what I'm calling pogo sticks from now on. I've only ever shot a handgun once and it went horribly because um, the cat, the, um, 
what do they call it? The shell casing. Mm-hmm. Jumped backwards and went down my shirt. And those buckles are hot. <laughs> it's so... And frankly, even if you do listen to this episode, still go to Leftover Army Monsters and download the Tremors episode, because you need a palate cleanser after this one. But back to the cell. A b- brief breakdown of this, uh, the, just just to show why it, it sounds like Sharon might like it. Jennifer Lopez plays uh, Catherine Dean, who is a special kind of psychologist who goes into the minds of her patients and explores their dreams. Inception style, I guess. Uh, yeah, they, they talk about them as dreams, but given that the focus is entirely on people with schizophrenia, it, they're delusions, basically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so she's particularly trying to help this one very troubled kid. Is, is the child in a coma permanently? Uh, he is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, she's she's having difficulty with it. Then it cuts to Vincent D'Onofrio, who is uh, Kingpin from uh, the Daredevil series. And... Vincent D'Onofrio is an awful, awful serial killer with many, many quirks that I'll let Sharon describe to you. And uh, he kidnaps women and then slowly kills them. And then he suffers a sudden attack of something, because who could care? And (laughs) then he gets taken to the police wherever station and they go, we've got to get a special kind of uh, psychologist on this because he's in a coma. There's only one way we can get the location of his latest victim, who is not yet dead, out of his head. That's to go directly in there and yank it out of him Inception style. (sighs) And so they get Catherine Dean to go into the head of a serial killer and along the way bad things happen. Um, And on the surface, Sharon should like this because it's about psychology and it's about a strong woman and it's about exploring the darker sides of us and animus and anima and many, many other psychological constructs. In reality, however, uh, it's written by Mark Protosevich, who uh, also co-wrote the story for Thor, so he's not completely rubbish. He also wrote uh, I Am Legend, which until they changed the ending for the theatrical version is actually a pretty solid movie if you watch the original ending. Um, So... He's not a complete dribbling simpleton. It's directed by Tarsem Singh, who has this incredible, and I will give him props here, visual flair. He directed Immortals, which I really did not like, but I know some people do. He also directed The Fall, which at the time of recording this show, we had not seen yet. And The Fall is a beautiful use of Tarsem's abilities. It kind of feels like a Terry Gilliam film with more heart. He also did Mirror Mirror, the other Snow White movie with Julia Roberts as the Wicked Witch, and we quite liked that too. At the intersection between Tarsem's look and music videos lies Zack Snyder. And it's a shame that Tarsem has never had that kind of popularity, as his philosophy is a great deal more human and less troubling. Tarsem's frames could easily hang in art galleries. We both hope he may one day find his place. But today, we are going to be absolutely savage with this film, The Cell, for various reasons which you will find out. Now, I'm going to sit back and let Sharon go to town on this one. 
Because <laughs> you have copious yeah. notes, don't you? I do have copious notes, and I apologise in advance if, if there is a lack of coherence um, to this, this particular rant. As you say, when we, when we first watched this, I was appalled. Shocked and appalled. Shocked and appalled. Um, I, I, oh, God. Um, I was hoping that as the years had progressed, you know, maybe it was that at the time I didn't understand some of the concepts that they investigated and that maybe with a bit more research and a bit more learning, um, I would be able to see what it was that they were getting at, that maybe some of the imagery and symbolism would have more meaning now. Um, No. No. If anything, it's worse. Mm. Um, Okay, part of it is... um, that some of the essential principles that they look at, um, including the nature of what schizophrenia is, um, are things that you can quite easily Google these days, obviously, and, and um, you know find out enough to be able to make your movie, if not scientifically and medically accurate, at least not utter bollocks. Um, and while I accept that in the year 99, 2000, when they were making this, it wouldn't have been quite so straightforward, um, I would still put forth the argument that if you can't be bothered to research the topic that you're going to make your film about, don't fucking make your film about that. Um <laughs> Because you just I'm not going to make a film about farming and go, I refuse to study farming. Indeed. Um, because you just waste everybody's time, frankly. Um, and that is. Agriculture sounds a bit complicated. I'll just assume I know what I'm talking about. Indeed. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, it was just a, a large waste of everybody's time. Um, so there was that. But it's uh, worse case... than just a waste. Oh, it is worse than it's, just a it's, waste of It's time. dangerous I mean, and insulting. Okay, okay. Case in point, from the, from the first opening credits the first note i've written down is music you did not need howard shaw for this cacophony seriously (laughs) they have employed one of the finest uh, score crafters who exists and it's a mess it's just you know it sounds like somebody threw a string section downstairs it's just clatter and crash and discord and, and 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 that's fine for specific elements of the film where that's the feeling that you're trying to evoke and you're trying to make everybody feel uncomfortable but don't just have that running constantly throughout the whole thing which is more or less what they do this is the last thing he did before he did fellowship of the ring well thank god for that (laughs) thank god for fellowship of the ring for allowing him to leave this thoroughly behind allowing him to write an opera basically well indeed so it opens with um the uh you're in the uh the mindscape of this young boy edward who's um in a coma and they (laughs) they refer to him as mr e very good the mystery did you catch that yes (laughs) They will say it several times, just in case you missed it the first time. Um, so Does Val Kilmer come along and go, Mr. E, mystery? <laughs> Maybe he should. Um, it did feel a little bit like a, a sort of... He needs help from Alfred, though. Over-the-top Tim Burton-ish kind of thing. That was Schumacher. Um, oh, of course it was, yeah. Um, anyway, so you've got this uh, this mindscape and it's a desert and she's 
turns up on a horse that then turns into a plastic horse and goes for a long walk through the desert and um, and finally finds this uh, this little boy sitting on a log out in the middle of nowhere. Beautifully um, shot, I might add. It's, 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 it, it, I mean, it, all you have to do point. basically with the desert like that is just set your camera, keep it still, make mm. sure the light levels are right. You've got beautiful blue sky and orange sands. Indeed. And and in terms of the visuals at this point, you know, it's it's looking really striking. And um, I've always liked the idea of, of the initial exploration of a, a, um, somebody's psyche being kind of very desert-like and, and mm. things come into view the more you look at them. But to begin with, things are very empty. Um, and desert of the mind. Yes, indeed. And oh my yeah. God, if this film would come out a year later, it would wank even more over the Matrix than it does already. Yeah, and it does quite a bit. I suspect that it actually had no influence of the Matrix because the Matrix was released in May of the previous year. So um, there's maybe just enough time for them it's... to slip in a line that says something along the lines of, it's like that old wives tell, if you die in your dream, you die for real. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Everybody hands up who's died in a dream and not died. Everybody. <laughs> Given that it is, it's based around um, kind of a virtual reality concept. You know, the the they have to wear um, these suits for her to, for Catherine to go into Edward's um, mind, and they have cloths with circuit boards on over their faces. They may as well just have cloths with the word science written on them. Absolutely. You know, th- there doesn't really seem to be a great deal going on to indicate how this this machine works, but it does seem to necessitate them being sort of mm. suspended and weightless. And, Ultimately, the how isn't important. They never went into it's it in not, inception no, they, they either. They explained it, yeah. everything else six times, but they never explained how. Well, they, they kind of... There's, there's things involving chemicals and stuff with the with inception. We literally right, not... inject you with science. Yes, indeed, and and film will happen. Um, but uh, anyway, so so she goes into Edward's mind and she talks to him, and and basically he's got a a, um, a demonic beastie in with him. Um, that he's trying to get away from, and, um, and and it's literally in him as she talks to him. His face distorts, and he turns into this sort of horrible little demon child and chases her away. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she emerges from the uh, the dream, I'm going to call these dreams in inverted commas because they do, um, but they're, they're not really. Um, but um, she's basically sort of putting forward the theory that uh, Edward is trapped within his own. Um, uh, very threatening uh, psychological landscape. And what she wants to do is reverse the feed on how this virtual reality thing works so that she can, instead of going into his um, mental landscape, she can bring him into hers and basically give him um, some relief and a break from this uh, demonic little bogeyman that's been chasing him around. Um, what could now, possibly go wrong? The the problem with that is that when when you're trying to um, to sort of heal somebody's or help somebody heal their own um, internal landscape, I'm not entirely certain what taking them out of that would accomplish because they're still going to have to go back into it when you're done. The only virtue to it is is basically to give him a holiday from his own brain. Yeah, and I don't think that's how that works. Um, but um, but anyway, she in the, the course of the discussion about this, she reveals the fact that she she used to be a children's social worker. Um, now, social work and therapy for extremely disturbed children, which seems to be what she's engaging in now, are 
very different things. Um, and the skills are not exactly transferable. Um, I mean, the, the basic uh, compassion, yes, but you need to learn a lot more when you're doing child therapy than, than mm. basic social work. And it, it seems as though somewhere along the line, Catherine hasn't bothered to gain experience. In fact, they even refer to that later on, but I'll, I'll come so back to that. So it's the difference between EMT and brain surgeon? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. It's a simple version, but it's, yeah. yeah. It then cuts to, she she goes home and she's uh, in her Oh, flat. in the meantime, by the way, there's a guy, like, is it her da- the boy's dad going, okay, Mr. Scientist, there's just no proof that any of this is actually happening, is it? Oh, yeah, but they, they, see, that's the thing. They never, ever come back to that. Once that's done, there is no further authoritative challenge to whether or not this process actually works or achieves anything or, yeah. or anything like that. That's just to it's, indicate that things are not going swimmingly for her. Indeed, which begs the question, where did all the funding for this place come from in the first place? Because um, none of it looks cheap. Um, yeah, who's paying these guys to, to the guy from Happiness to sit at the computer all day and go, oh, there's something different now? Absolutely. And the flip side of it is there seem to be three people involved in this project, and two of them seem very up on the whole technical side of things, but not to know anything about psychology whatsoever. You'd, um, you'd need both. You, you, you really need somebody, do need both. Absolutely. You would need somebody who was a dab hand with both elements to be able to, to really do this properly. Because, I'm assuming this is next door to the Face-Off Institute. <laughs> yeah, quite likely. <laughs> Apart from anything else, you, you've got kind of the Jurassic Park thing. If, if it's being run entirely by technical people, um, they're so obsessed about whether or not they can do this, they're not stopping no. to think whether they should, they should. Um, and whether this is actually going to be an incredibly damaging process that goes into somebody's private brain and messes with it in a way that they are in no way equipped. And also since Jennifer Lopez's character Mad, they never really uh, tackled that one, but basically the kind of psychological strain she undergoes just at the beginning of the film. Yes, Um, it should. It should send her mad. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. The reason it doesn't is because she doesn't have enough dimensions to her character to go mad. Bingo. Um, So... Yeah, cut to her back at her, um, her little flat where she, she appears to live alone, doesn't even appear to have a cat. Did you notice a cat? Yeah, because Jennifer Lopez cannot get a boyfriend. Yeah. That's the big um, she, she can't get a boyfriend, can't get a, a cat, can't, you know, engage with anybody. You know, she's... she's I, I don't know whether they were trying to paint her as this incredible loner, um, you know, somebody who is, is so devoted to her work with children that she just doesn't have time for anything else. What she does have time for, though, is sitting around without her pants on. Um, <laughs> it, it, it basically, you've, you've not got Not everyone this, was complaining at this. I'm sure not everyone was complaining at this, but, but right, there will be people that will back me up on this. There is very little in this world that's more frustrating in a film about a single woman where you have her walking around her apartment in a very sexily cut shirt, knickers and nothing else, extending shapely legs out from underneath her as she stretches sexily, takes things out of the fridge sexily, smokes pot sexily. Oh, yeah, she was smoking pot at one point. She was smoking pot, and I've actually written down... You're going to need a tall glass of water to deal with this head. (laughs) I'm unclear why someone who lives entirely alone would adopt such sexy poses or lounge around so scantily clad. 
Or why someone who works in the psychological field and spends her entire day in a mind-altered state would smoke pot for purposes of relaxation. Talk about a busman's holiday. And let's Um, never refer to that again, shall we? Let's never mention that she smokes pot again in the whole film. Um, Small point, but she's dealing with people, again, that everybody that she deals with with this process is suffering apparently from schizophrenia and cannabis use is one of the things that increases um, the, the risk factor for schizophrenia. So maybe they were subtly trying to hint at that. Maybe they didn't know what they were talking about. I'm going to put my money on option B. Always um, go with option B for every scenario we are in. There's also, again, she's been dealing with nightmarish images um, in the process of her workday. The shit she chooses to watch to help her wind down to go to sleep. What the hell? I said this about the Babadook as well. Like, yeah, the, the, the like you have a disturbed lady who who is finding difficulty going to sleep. Let's watch creepy old The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari style silent films. There's no way that's going to mess with my head just before yes. I dream. Indeed, yes. There's other things that you can do to help yourself calm down. Anyway, so so she's drifting off to sleep. Why don't I suggest friends? Of, uh, I don't know about that, but count sheep or something, I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, so while she's watching her incredibly disturbing, creepy TV show um, and, um, you know, right, okay, was this supposed to be symbolic? She's lying back on the bed, right, in a certain position, uh-huh. causing my brain to go, okay, is this going to go? No, it's not. But she does have a little cushion with a decal of a hand on it, which uh-huh. she places very carefully over her... Um, Vagina? Uh, pudenda area. There you go. To sort of, you know, just make sure everybody's thinking she could be wanking right now. She's not. She's not because in a moment we're going to have to watch Vincent D'Onofrio do it. and We aren't going to want to associate... Jennifer Lopez doing such a sweet and innocent and sexy thing. Dude, they could have juxtaposed it. Jerking off over a dead body. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. you have to describe right. moment by moment. Yeah, folks, if you're <gasps> squeamish, if you're squeamish, jump forwards five minutes because what we're about to describe is going to make you go exactly what we said when we watched it. Oh God. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying this would have been okay if it had been two thirds of the way through the film and we'd had time to build up to it. Um, <laughs> Let me finish my early. popcorn first. It's way too early for this, <laughs> honestly. I've still you know, got some coke left in this cup. Sent the kids to bed yet? I've got um, kids here. But um, anyway, so it, it cuts to Vincent D'Onofrio, who is our serial killer du jour. I say serial killer. Um, we see <sighs> him deal with precisely two victims, and I never hear them talk about any others. So exactly the extent to which he is a serial killer is questionable at this point. But bear in um, mind, folks, that all of these wacky quirks we're about to describe combined into one man. He's the kind of guy that if he walked into a grocery store and bought some groceries, that person behind the counter would go, oh, we've got a serial killer on our hands here just make sure that police know this before he leaves the store because serial killer right here right there indeed there's no way he could blend into society being this mad behaving the way he does and i i hate uh, the word mad is not one that i like to use in this in this kind of context it's in the, the irish way... context <laughs> a big mad cat well indeed but the way they set him up in this and and i have to say it is hardly unique in doing this but the way i've written it down is why is the creepy serial killer so obviously and unbelievably creepy they are riding manhunter and silence of the lambs so hard (laughs) 
so hard. They are so desperate to be just like those movies. And they fall into that trap. I, I mean, I know, um, obviously, Manhunter manages to set up Francis Dolahide initially to be sympathetic, but he is as creepy as hell. And Jane Gum in Silence of the Lambs is a, a total caricature from the word go. You know, for some strange reason, it seems nigh on impossible for Hollywood, particularly thrillers, to create a realistic, believable murderous people they just they they don't seem to understand how to do it um i am racking my brain zodiac? to think of any zodiac uh, was probably, restrained at least but it's yeah pretty restrained um i i do like the way kevin spacey played uh, john doe in seven mm-hmm. um but i mean even that Although, yeah no his, into, his sermonizing uh, yeah. it becomes caricature absolutely um and, and Seven, um, by the way, is nearly near the pinnacle of serial killer movies. Absolutely. But ultimately, there's a reason serial killers and, and serial abusers and murderers get away with doing what they do for so long. For long enough, in fact, to become considered serial. It's because they can pass for being a perfectly ordinary human being. Um, as opposed to what we have here, which is possibly a contender for the strangest man in the universe if you just skip forward folks and you've just landed here skip forwards a bit more <laughs> skip forward again because we're about to go into the gross right so we are introduced this is to the this kind man. of gross that would make clive barker go oh that's a bit <laughs> harsh um, <laughs> we, we open um d'onofrio's scene um with him removing his latest victim again latest in inverted commas because we don't actually know how many he's had before this he drives um, to a, like a, a a water plant and then finds a big tank and there's a girl floating in it yeah and um, i don't think you actually saw this because you were busy scribbling notes angrily like she has just died and then while she's floating in the water she twitches and spasms as the last of her life leaves her and he immediately dives into the corner and starts wanking um good really <laughs> He, I think he's, I did miss that. I think he immediately shoves his hand between his legs. Okay, right, okay. He's so like, does, I've does got the big boner here. Because what I've started with is when he takes her out of the bleach bath. So is that... Mm. Was it bleach or was it milk? It's bleach. It's bleach because basically, yeah. yeah, okay, sorry. Oh, the bleach bath. Yeah. yeah. So step two, so, he so takes st- her yeah, out of this two. tank of water. So he's he's had um, this girl uh, lying in a bath full of bleach and he and he lifts her out ever so gently, ever so tenderly. She's quite clearly dead, um, obviously, and the bleach has sort of started to burn her hair away. Staring, and, creepy. Um, her, her skin has all become eyes. very white. Yep. Um, and, and as he lifts her out, the camera is very careful to, to position itself. Definitely. Um, so that we get a, a nice lingering shot showing her breasts and labia, because as we all know, these are the most important parts of a female human. And we just want to make it absolutely clear, just so there's no doubt, it's a girl. And, um, and, and I was thinking it can't, that can't have been her labia. She must be wearing under... But no, no, that was definitely... She is bollock naked, totally dead. Did we actually need to see the cleft of her vagina? Tarsem Singh. If you got this in HD, folks, it'll be a black line. It's, it's, it's right there. And, yeah, he lifts her... There were a, a dozen places that Tarsem Singh could have positioned his camera mm-hmm. around the room could, to could have not done it behind get her. that. 
Could have, could have had it. Whilst you know, looking through, he could have gone. Yeah, no, it's no good. Kim, I'm sorry, we're seeing way too much of you. Uh, Vince, if you move around, Kim, are you comfortable? Silly question, I know. If you move your left leg up, we can just preserve a little dignity for you. But that's not what happened. Indeed. Um, worth noting, by the way, uh, the poor lady who played that corpse um, doesn't even get a character name. She is literally just victim number one. Mm-hmm. Or, or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he lies her down on a table. <sighs> um, and then he proceeds to... Right, he turns around. No, and, no, first he um, showers her off with the, with the oh, shower yeah, device. Sorry, oh, yep, yep. Gets all, all the bleach, bleach off. off. Um, and then he, he turns around and we see that um, on his back... He has um, disrobed at this point. He's, he is now naked. And um, in similar positions, in fact... To, oh, no, because in The Matrix, the plugs are all down the spine, aren't they? They're they not. Are. Right, OK, so that, that is slightly different. Um, but that was what it made me think of when he turned around. But he's got um, two rows of piercings, one down each side of his back, um, where he has rings... Um, Loads that of are, rings. Are ..put through the skin. I don't think he people understood... The, under, the, the weight ratios, how much Vincent D'Onofrio weighs, how much pressure skin can take. Also, the positions that they're in, because it cuts away then, and then yeah. it comes back, and then he's got all the ch- all these chains attached to the rings. Now, how the Chains attached to a device that's in the ceiling or something. Yeah. But question, how the fuck did he attach all those himself? Because some of those rings were in positions that would really require the assistance of a third party. Answer, he's very clever. So it would appear. Extremely limber. Um, and he manages to get all these these um, chains attached. Um, now, I've, I've made a note a little bit further on, because basically what he's going to engage in here um, is, is suspension, which um, is a thing that some people do. Um, it's not customarily and I, I couldn't ascertain whether this never happens but it's not customarily done using uh healed piercings basically the, they rehook you every time um and it has to be done very very carefully the person who's who's you know doing the hooking and it does take a, a second person to do it um has to work out exactly where to put them so that the the skin can support the weight and and it varies every t- you know depending on the the size of the person and um and all the rest of it so yeah i i'd say the bollocks on this particular way that he does this um but so he hooks himself up with all of these chains and then um see i, d- oh. I didn't think that the when i i looked at, at some pictures i didn't think that the people who are actually doing it for real it, it doesn't look all that dreadfully i mean it's not something that i would want to do but no. but ultimately the way this has been set up it's like somebody went oh yeah piercing suspension that sounds really nasty let's make him do that and then proceeded to not research anything about it at all um and, you're right and about just, the fresh hooks by the way there's these are these are not on existing piercing they oof. yeah yep okay but anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, so it, it, these chains pull him up and he's hovering over her and, um, and suspended over her, her body. Um, and he then, the camera pans up and onto his face and upper torso and he proceeds to... Have a furious wank. Yes, because, yeah. of course, we need as graphic an image as possible to demonstrate what he's doing short of a cum shot, which they don't. Yeah. Have because mainstream movie, apparently. Um, I'm going to slightly take back what I said earlier, actually. Every single one of these pictures, these people are 
physically dedicated to this zen-like moment for themselves. Mm. This is clearly, obviously, something they want to do. And it's it's the same as um, a bed of nails or walking over hot uh, coals or, mm. or any other number of physical endurance situations. Yeah. This yeah. is... Um, well, so people have been doing this for thousands of years. Yeah. It's disturbing as hell to, to, to look at. But, uh, no, you're absolutely right. There's a certain grace to some of them as well. Mm. Um, but there's no grace to this. It's just done to make everyone go, yeah. but Which is not a reason to put something in your film. It really isn't. Um, unless, of course, that's all you want to achieve with the film, in which case, well done, Tarsim. I believe we've uh, established the uh, you know the, the, the top level disturbs, the second level shocks, and the third bottom level just disgusts. Just disgusts, indeed. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. But the thing is, though, if it disturbs, but the only level of disturbing you get is how fucked up were the people who wrote this movie? Yeah. You failed. You get, again, like, <laughs> this was the beginning for me of my... Complete and utter fatigue with sadism and going way over the top for no goddamn reason uh, in uh, kidnapping, torture and murder movies and TV, which it has now become de rigueur. Indeed. I mean, at least, and again, I am not going to let Silence of the Lambs get away with the fact that it it does fall into this trap a few times, despite the fact that it is one of my favourite, or was... <laughs> I don't know whether it's Jodie Foster but... still comes off extremely well in yeah, that, the, and the, the actual police procedural is... stuff's really good. Absolutely, they go over the top and they let, let uh, Hannah, they let Anthony Hopkins do whatever the fuck he likes. Yes, and everybody loved it and continues to love him for that mm, performance. Indeed, but yeah, the things I really like about Silence of the Lambs tend to not mm. be the things that everybody else loves about. But Manhunter's a better and film, and Brian yes, Cox's is a much more restrained performance as yeah. And they know Manhunter's a better film because they are desperately trying to make Vince Vaughn, Will Graham in this, and they fail miserably Mm -hmm. um but anyway so we're not even past the 10th minute yet we're not so okay right creepy bit creepy bit finished not quite most horrible creepy bit so far at least finished um and then it cuts now that we've established um, the tone and what they'll be doing (laughs) we're about half an hour you know where we are for the rest Um, of this movie Um, i'm gonna shut up and i'm gonna let you just go and tell us what the hell the rest of the movie's about. Okay, so it, it then cuts to um, a, a group of FBI agents, um, one of whom is Vince Vaughn, and they are in, they find this girl who is then dumped um, in a river, and they start looking into... Um, you know, oh, meanwhile, there is the, the obligatory, oh, could you help me out with this van here? Oh, of course, yeah, because you see him catch his next <laughs> yeah. victim. He, he doesn't That's actually right, say, could you help me out with him, but he grabs her when she's on her way to the parking lot. So this is his yeah. newest victim. He yeah. grabs her in the same way. That's right. So, um, yeah, so cut to um, cops investigating um, this dumped corpse, and um, Vince Vaughn is saying things like, I want the coroner's report stat nobody drags their heels on this I, what they i can't remember the a level the, the things that were required to happen to get it to jennifer lopez but it took about two minutes <laughs> they, they found her really really quickly but that's the thing right if if i i suspect 
if I knew more about police investigation processes than I do, I'd be really pissed off at the language and nonchalance that they have around that as well. Because it's literally like, okay, what are the clues that we've got? Well, we've got some paint scraping on that bridge over there. We've already sent some off to the lab for analysis. We've got a tyre track that matches a skid mark over there. We suspect it's from a Ford pickup. Rah, rah, rah. Literally. We suspect it's from a Ford pickup. Rah, rah, rah. rah, rah. Honestly, (laughs) it might as well be. Rah, rah, rah. Everything they say is significant to the investigation. Every single lead that they follow up turns up something really good that gets them to him incredibly quickly. Now, like I understand. psychically good, because they've got to get to the psychic, psychological meat of this. They haven't got a true detective-style multiple-hour running time to get through this. Absolutely. The first, One of the first things they find is dog hair on the corpse, right? They analyse this dog hair and ascertain that there's no melanin in it, and it comes from an albino German shepherd. Oh, he'd yes, love that dog. He has an albino German shepherd. Question, if he's a serial killer, and this isn't the first person that he's killed and dumped, how the fuck is he so sloppy that he's leaving dog Dog hair on the corpse, and if so, why the fuck haven't they found him before now? Your heart's not in this, is it? Although, one of your pubes is, I see. All straight in there, like that, no messing. It's not a pubes of dog hair. It's alright. It's not a pubes of dog hair, everyone. I, I, I thought it was a pube. It's not, it's just a dog hair. If, if you do get a hair in there, he just gets out with his big sausage fingers. If they could have done all this miraculous lead following up now, why haven't they found him before? Which, again, is what leads me to believe that this is his first victim, in which case, why are they calling him a serial killer? Good questions. Next. Yeah, uh, when they start talking about the dog, um, Vince Vaughn basically turns around and, looking romantically up to the sky, says, oh, yeah, he'd love a dog like that. (laughs) How the fuck do you know, Vince Vaughn? You know nothing about this man apart from the fact that he has bleached a girl and dumped her in a river and apparently has an albino dog. How do you draw this particular conclusion? Um, If they know anything else about the case, they haven't discussed it, and yet he seems to just be able to come up with these ideas that are clearly correct, and nobody is looking at him like, Okay, you're a bit strange. Um, so the the what they decide to pursue to try and track him down is like, right, this half of the cop team, you go look up German Shepherd dealers in the area, and uh, dealers, breeders, sorry, and this half of the room, you go and look up Ford dealers in the area. Here's your haystack, gentlemen, go and investigate. Only used by this German Shepherd, only used by a little old lady twice on Sundays. <laughs> Indeed. But here's the thing. There are no dead ends in this case. There really yeah. aren't. They go out and literally the first lead that they follow up on the German Shepherd. Yeah, she sold an albino German Shepherd pup three years ago, and guess what? The guy drove a Ford. Oh, and guess what colour it was? Apple green. Matches the paint scraping we found on the bridge. There is no dead lead in this case. Everything they inquire about turns up miraculously correct immediately. (laughs) And obviously the reason for this is that the guts of the film is not the finding of... Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, it is the the investigating of his head. The fascinating... I mean, he pretty much falls into their hands. Absolutely. They need to know where he is so that when he has a heart attack, they can arrive at the exact correct moment. Well, it's not a heart attack, but we'll come to that in a minute. (sighs) Um, But... um, The brain attack. It's a thing. Triggered by water, don't you know? If this is your thing, if you want him in the hands of the investigators as quickly as possible... Don't bother with the police procedural bullshit. You don't need it. And if you're not going to even do it right, why put it in there? Just have Jennifer Lopez doing this thing and then she gets a call. Yeah, absolutely. That's all you really need. That's all you need. 
need. That's all you need. You can even, if you insist, you can even show the dead girl and then, you know, have something happen and they catch him. That's fine. Or, but- or let's just like have them bust down the uh, the door of his house and then, then uh, Vincent uh, D'Onofrio, Vaughan, says, uh, I've been chasing this guy for three years. Yeah. You know, something I know everything like that. about him that Just way, especially if he knows him like Will Graham, mm-hmm. or, you know, like, uh, you know, that then that that makes it so much more personal if yeah. he was to end up in. I'm, I'm rewriting this just on the spot. <laughs> But anyway, so, um, yeah, so the, the other thing about um, D'Onofrio's character is that he, he gets sudden attacks of pain. And at this point, we have no idea what this is connected to, but he, he always carries um, a big bottle of aspirin. He's constantly chugging this aspirin. Um, and it cuts to a scene of him in the bath and um, he, he starts to have what looks like a, a severe attack of, of head pain, reaches down for the bottle of aspirin, uh, picks it up, but it's empty. Okay, Either when he got into the bath, he placed an empty bottle of aspirin next to the bath. Yeah. Or while he was in the bath, he finished off the bottle of aspirin and then put the empty bottle of aspirin back on the floor. I've played Far Cry 2 to completion. I kept my malaria medication supplies fresh as often as possible. And I didn't even really have malaria. Indeed. So, yeah, and my other question is, if these attacks are so severe and if they've been going on for a while, why is he just taking aspirin for them? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand how that's going to help. Because anyway, plot, because plot, Sharon. Because plot, well, yes, of course. Um, so anyway, then he, so he has this, this brain attack, collapses on the floor. Coincidentally, this is around the time that the SWAT team are turning up at his house because, of course, they were able to track him down by virtue of the albino dog and the green Ford pickup. Um, and they burst through the door and they find him lying down, face uh, face on the floor, naked. One of the SWAT team positions his gun very carefully right over Vincent D'Onofrio's ass crack. Mm-hmm. Um, because for what? For the sake of his masculine dignity? You know, the poor girl that he dragged out of the bleach bath was not afforded such protection. And yet he gets ass crack cover with the gun, which, you know impressive um so they, they're looking around his house and he's got all of these um uh, barbie dolls and various other toys that have been mutilated in some way you know hair burned off or you know they've been sort of tied together so that they appear to be kissing each other's bottoms and and things like that um I, all i could think was this guy's sid from toy story the very idea yes um you know clearly nobody dealt with him and now he's living in a house full of you know ducks with hooks for heads and things um right now this ducks with hooks for heads <laughs> well, i don't know <laughs> hook a duck but easy. he won them at a fair yeah absolutely um right so so now they cut. He likes so, to attach them to his back piercings and wander around the house, going, "Look at me, I'm a tree." <laughs> I have ducks hanging off me, and you see, then when he gets into the the cube full of water, then he floats. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, then they start to uh, to discuss because they they then he, he's obviously he's in a coma, um, but they I think they find some videotape of um, the girl who's been kidnapped now who's been put in this uh sealed glass room that's on a timer to start filling up with water and and will drown her so you know ticking clock um so they they take him to the lab where um, jennifer lopez has been doing her brain uh inception thingy 
Um, and they're trying they to... They don't even have a name for it, do they? What, the brain inception thingy? No, they don't. Yeah, no. So what, the, what they now try and present you with is a reason why he might be the way he is. And specifically at this point, we're talking about the reason why he has um, lapsed into a coma. Um, and they start talking about something which they refer to as Wayland's infraction. Okay. Which is, and I, I checked, this is a fictional creation of the film. It doesn't really exist. It's described as a particularly severe form of schizophrenia. Okay. Which is the result of a virus contracted in utero, which causes a latent brain disorder which is then triggered later in life. And the, the doctor says that, you know, there's numerous triggers, but it's usually something to do with submergence in water, or, or usually the trigger is water, presumably some kind of, of uh, drowning or something like that. Now, this all sounded like utter bunkum to me. And I thought, right, before I dismiss it, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to see if they, they've actually applied any you know, mental illness mm -hmm. research and, and scientific understanding to this. And first off, Wayland's infraction. Now, the word infraction is wrong in this particular context. It, it refers to an incomplete bone fraction without displacement that affects the bony tissues of the brain. Okay. And that's not what they're talking about here. They might mean an infarction, which is yeah. a different thing. Okay. I was thinking infarction, actually. Yeah. Now, that's where you have... You watch House um, for three episodes, you'll know more about brains <laughs> than these than guys do. Than have found out. Now, that's something prevents the flow of blood to the brain, and it results in, um, in some tissue death. So they might have meant that. The implication by this, and again, I accept they, they made this up for the film, but they are linking it to schizophrenia, which is a real thing, okay? And the implication is that the virus he contracted whilst in utero waited years before it was triggered and is causing his schizophrenia. Now, it is true that um, uh, in utero viral stressors can increase the risk for schizophrenia. I think the, the risk increase is something like 5 to 8%. But there is not a one-to-one -one correlation. It's not you have this virus, the virus will turn into schizophrenia later in life. That's not how it works. Schizophrenia is not viral. Hmm. There are other significant risk factors as well. Um, and some of them, admittedly, as you find out more about his character and, and his childhood and, and growing up, he is subject to some of those risks. But they really seem determined to link this development of schizophrenia to the fact that he was in the bath and to an incident when he was baptised as a child where he were, he believes that he drowned, or at least he started to drown, and they held, kept held, holding him under the water. Now, you would think that if that was what had triggered it, there'd have been some evidence of it before now. But this all seems to be really, really recent. And his obsession with drowning the girls all seems to be linked in with this history of, of um, a weird relationship with water. And, and that, you can assume, goes back to this root of being held under the water himself. And then you've got all of this abuse that he's subject to by his father 
But then you have that weird scene a little bit further on where Vince Vaughn's talking about um, a, a, a criminal that he tried when he was a, a prosecution lawyer. He tried to um, get a child molester put away, but something went wrong with the evidence. And so he walked and um, and he then went back to the house of the girl that he'd been um, molesting and killed her. And his uh, Vaughn's argument, he he got really frustrated because the lawyer of this murderer basically made a defence by insanity plea, and and the guy got off. Ugh, I'll get to that later because that mm. really annoys me when people talk about insanity pleas resulting in you know you you get away with it. Uh, no, not how it works, but. The way that's presented rather suggests that that's the opinion of the writers, at least in part. And it kind of hints that Vince Vaughn might have been abused himself. And he's basically saying he doesn't believe that just because somebody's been abused means they're going to turn into a murderer, which is, of course, true. But in the way that they've set up Vincent D'Onofrio's character, that rather suggests that what they're saying is schizophrenics, though. Oh, totally. <sighs> Which is just, I mean, first of all, schizophrenia is not directly linked with psychopathic behaviour. They're, they're separate things. It's not directly linked to the perpetuation of abuse. That's a separate thing. It's certainly not directly linked to being a murderer. That's a completely separate thing. And all of the threads that they try to set up for why um, uh, D'Onofrio is the way he is would be so incredibly complicated so difficult to tease apart and, and examine let alone try to actually address any of them or or heal any of them and it, it's just another hollywood shitty way of reinforcing this ridiculous stereotype that people with serious mental illnesses are dangerous. And if you look at the statistics, people with mental illnesses are so much more likely to be the victims of criminal violence rather than perpetrating it. And it just, it frustrates the hell out of me when they keep doing this over and over and over again. You have a serial killer. Oh, well, clearly that's because of some sort of mental illness that they've had and this, that and the other. And, and it just... There's no finesse. There's no subtlety. There's no there's no competence <laughs> at all. And oh my god! So there's that. We're not even in his head yet. We're not. No. And and they they the the uh, preliminary to to going into his head. They start you know talking about the fact that there's this girl who's um, they believe he's got another victim that's in this um, this cell and is going to drown and so ticking clock, like I said, and they've got to find her. And the only way that they can find her is to go into his head to try and ask him um, whether he can, there is, you know, if there is a part of him that feels bad about what he's done and would be willing to reveal her location. And then you get the statement of he's disappeared, like having a dream and never waking up. You don't disappear when you dream. You're still there. You can still feel external sensation. In fact, your brain quite often interprets that and puts it into your dream in, in some other way. I, I think what they mean is somebody being in a very deep state of, of being unable to distinguish between external reality and delusional products of their own mind, which can be a symptom of, of serious schizophrenia. 
but it certainly wouldn't automatically result in a coma. And it's something that, that that element of schizophrenia, you're more likely to try and address with medication than psychotherapy. Because the problem with psychotherapy is you've got to be pretty clear headed to be able to pick your own brain apart. And if you're in a state of psychosis and you're having visions and delusions and you can't actually distinguish between what's real and what's not, how can you then deal with the the things that you're trying to look at it's like if if somebody's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder if they're in the middle of a fucking panic attack you don't try to get them to analyze what it is that's caused them to have the panic attack in the first place you calm them down you do things that you know demonstrate that they are safe that they can you know the the panic and the the uh, the uh, sense of feeling threatened is not necessary in the here and now. And when they are in a calm state, then you get them to look at what's triggered the panic attack in the first place. You, you can't, you just can't. You can't. I, I, I just can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't. I, I just. Uh. Let's have a quick break and listen to what the score of this movie sounds like. Okay, that's enough. Sorry I asked. Right, my other question at this point is, even given that the only possible technology in the world to get into this man's head is in this particular lab, the lady here that you're dealing with is a minimally experienced child social worker. (laughs) Why, in the name of all that is holy, would you ask her to confront an extremely disturbed adult individual. That surely, alarm bells, red flags, he's in a coma now, you're about to lock them in a room together. You don't know he's not gonna wake up at any point and try to strangle her or something. And even if he wasn't, you, you, the products of his head are not gonna be something that somebody should go into unarmed you know, without some knowledge of of what they're doing, which she clearly doesn't have, by the way. Knowledge of what she's doing is not something this woman brought to the table. Really isn't. So then she she notices the the um the holes in his back where they've they've taken out the, the ring piercings and it's brilliant. You can tell the way she delivers the line that their intention here was to have her respond totally non-judgmentally to the idea that he has the you know these piercings that he suspends himself from and just you know completely off the cuff oh she said they're comforted by the feeling of weightlessness right first off who's they (laughs) okay people who practice suspension because they do it for all sorts of reasons and and yes you know feelings of comfort might well be one of them people with schizophrenia I don't know that there's necessarily a link there. People who drown and bleach women, are they looking for comfort in the feelings of weightlessness? Those guys are ten and penny. Well, clearly. Also, being suspended by piercings, I'm going to, having never experienced it, I will admit that I could be wrong on this, but I don't think it would make you feel weightless. Flotation tank. Weightless. Hanging from rings stuck through your shoulder blades. I think you'd be very aware of your weight, actually. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah. about. I'm assuming it's about being able to transcend the pain that you're going through. Well, well part of it is that the. I, I'm guessing that it's got something to do with promoting endorphins to, to that 
are produced to counter the pain and gradually yeah you you reach a point where you don't feel the pain but I, I still don't think that you would really describe that as weightlessness and plus the fact he didn't look as though he was feeling very weightless when he was jerking off over that poor girl in the second scene <laughs> so um yeah uh, that did, did not look like classy he was looking for, classy fellow absolutely did not look like he was looking for feelings of comfort in that particular scenario the authority that she speaks about it, though, just this total off-the-cuff deadpan remark kind of suggests that she's done it, maybe. But even then, she's a professional of sorts. If you're making an assessment about somebody, would you not couch that in terms of he may be looking for comfort in feelings of weightlessness rather than making a pronouncement? <sighs> about somebody that you haven't even been able to interview so far because he's fucking unconscious. <laughs> Surely ah. it should be a case of, um, like, you know, don't hand me maybe, sister. We want some definite <laughs> answers here. But this is, this is the thing. There is very little in the way of definite answers when it comes to psychology. Fucking acknowledge that if that's what you're going to make your film about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, having established the, the test subject of Edward from the beginning of the film... They do seem to have set up this idea that the, the the dream state that she goes into is specifically developed from the delusions that are produced in the mind of a, a person with schizophrenia, that you can replicate that in virtual reality and then the therapist can share it. Now, you've then got a scene where she talks to, to Vince Vaughan in Edward's um, hospital room. And she says something about schizophrenia in children is often confused with autism. Right. Now, mm. these these are two pretty separate, distinct things. And it is true that schizophrenia, especially in, in younger people, is often mistaken for other disorders because the evidence that you've got for it is mostly behavioural. And depending on how that those symptoms manifest themselves... It's, it can be easy to read it as something else. And, and a lot of the time, and there's an awful lot of, of psychological and indeed physical disorders that are like this, you, you only come to this conclusion after you've eliminated everything else. And I will concede that probably both autism and schizophrenia were a lot less well understood back in 2000 yeah. than they are now. It, I mean, the, the understanding of them now is imperfect. So back then, probably even less so. But again... Some research, please. Some evidence that you've looked into this with a level of comprehension that goes beyond something your mate suggested, which is about the level that it sometimes feels like they're at. A lot of mates suggesting a lot of things that made yeah. it into the script. Indeed. I mean, it did occur to me that it's entirely possible that she said it's often confused with autism because the writers thought, well, that's the only other mental disorder that the audience are really going to get. You've all seen Rayman, right? Yeah, indeed. So it's, it's they think it's that, but it's not. It's something else. What? How foolish of you. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And she even says the, the virus paralyzes part of the mind. So they still appear to be claiming that schizophrenia is caused by a virus, which it's not. Ha. <laughs> huh. You're awesome. Right. The next thing, <laughs> this made me bite my hand. It right? did. Okay. I should have taken a photo. Right. 
if you are a psychologist or a therapist and you are dealing with somebody who is a very disturbed individual, right? If you're dealing with somebody who is not a very disturbed individual, this next statement I'm going to make is true, at least to a certain degree. But if you're dealing with a very disturbed individual, it's so true that the fact that this doesn't happen made me want to poke somebody in the eye. You would not engage with someone with that much of a complex um, disturbance without major levels of supervision. Yeah. Okay. Um, Basically, if you are psychoanalyzing people and counseling people and offering therapy to people, you are supposed to have somebody who is more experienced than you in your same field that you can go and talk to after the fact and say, right, this is what happened and this is it went this way and now I've got no idea what to do next and I need some ideas. And basically it's it's all it's kind of quite collaborative, but because of the the nature of the very one-on-one interaction that that psychoanalysis and, and therapy and that kind of thing requires you need to be able to feed that upwards because otherwise it will fuck you up. And if you get fucked up, you're going to fuck up your patient. Okay? It's an essential part of doing that kind of work. And that actually happens as well. There is no evidence that anything like that is going on. There is nothing to suggest that she has any kind of support from anyone who works in the same field as her. The other two people involved in this project seem to be entirely focused on the techie side of things. They don't seem to be familiar with the psychological process at all. The degree to which they appear not to be familiar with the psychological process is when they talk to Vince Vaughan about how they went about hiring Catherine for this particular role. Craigslist. They say, <laughs> they say that the child therapy, they're basically talking about the fact that she's the only person who, did, who displayed any particular affinity with the procedure. And they say that the child therapists that they interviewed, the child therapists that they interviewed just observed and reported. Now, maybe, they didn't go in and meddle like they should. Maybe, just maybe, that's because they were trained fucking professionals and observe and report is what a therapist would do and should do, especially in the initial stages, which if it's interview is very initial, especially with children. <laughs> because here's the thing, you can't, you can't, children are very, very easy to lead. Very easy to lead. If you want to get to the bottom of what's actually in their head, oh my God, the amount of careful that you have to be. And yet, this approach that Catherine has, that they openly praise and say, oh my God, it was wonderful and and she did all this. This is is basically the equivalent, right? This was the, the parallel that I came up with when I thought about it. It's like interviewing for a construction worker Mm-hmm. and then complaining that most of the applicants insist on seeing blueprints first and examining Best. what materials and tools they've got available rather than just going in and starting to nail stuff to other stuff. Uh, yep. But, but this seems to be what they wanted, was for her to just go in and start nailing stuff to other stuff. 
And that's what she does. And then they wonder why it all gets very complex and difficult and, and she ends up just disappearing. As soon as she goes in there, like almost immediately she goes in there, she gets lost. You know why? Because she's just nailing stuff to other stuff <laughs> without any idea of what she's doing or where she's going or even what she's trying to achieve. Her she plan <laughs> appears to have been to go in there find some aspect of him that isn't desperately murderous and then ask it, oh, where's this girl, by the way, just in case you fancy telling me. I by mean, the way, just to, hang on, just to spoil the end of the movie, everything she does is totally pointless because Vince Vaughn finds out anyway. What's the scrap of information that well, tells him? See, here's the thing. He does He does see it because, yeah, later on he goes into the, the dreamscape as well. Um, despite the fact he's even less qualified to do this than she is, which is saying something. It's like sending an oil driller up to drill an asteroid. <laughs> well, at least there's drilling involved there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he goes in and and he sees is um, rubbish at being a policeman. Well, indeed, he sees a logo mm. on something that suddenly makes him think, "I've seen that logo before," and then he remembers that the um, the wank table that they mm. found um, had this particular logo on and he tracks down that company and finds out that they also made the uh, a tank that would fill up with water. And this is where it might be. Um, so, yeah, it, it could well be that that was in his head anyway and that all it took was just that little prompt to get him to remember it. And they could have done that without her assistance At whatsoever. All. Yeah, so in fact, she go. just messes this everything up. This is just up. two halves of two different films that they've smushed together and, and hoped for the best. Um, but, I mean, I, the, I mean, the priority for how the film is put together seems to have been entirely visual. They yeah, seem what, to have had... What looks absolutely stunning in these storyboards that we want to actually... That we will invest the money in turning into enormous, elaborate sets. Mm. And it's, it's all based on... Or, well, all, a lot of it is based on um, on works of art that have obviously yeah. struck Tarsum Singh as being incredibly beautiful and, and meaningful, which is fine. But the problem is that if you start with this is what I want this film to look like mm. and then work back from there, filling in the gaps without doing much in the way of, of research or story or character or, to put it another way, nailing stuff to other stuff. <laughs> this works so well as a style if you're going to do a Nine Inch Nails music video lasting six minutes max. Over the course of an hour and 45 minutes, it is more than a little draining to watch. It really is. And, and the, the imagery that he uses as well, although... You can't argue with the fact that it's striking, but it's such a fucking mishmash. There is no consistent point or theme. It's convoluted. It's incoherent because he's based it off all these different um, artworks that have no connection to each other. And nothing means anything as well. Apparently, nothing has been carefully thought. As far as we can tell, yeah, th I mean, there's nothing that we, look, we didn't associate color with a specific um, emotion. We didn't associate uh, objects or... Um, or, or recurring themes of something that just keeps turning up. Mm. It's all very much worn on its sleeve. Yeah. It's weird shit, and then it's direct lifted memories. Yeah, and and it's. I mean, you've you've got all of this this uh, imagery of, of women being used as dolls and puppets because once um, she goes into um, D'Onofrio's mind, she starts chasing this little boy, which is kind of his. 
the, the little inner child that's got majorly fucked up over the course of and his life. And we do mean chasing, there. by the way. She doesn't just like sort of sort of say, hey, and then back the hell off. She's mm. like sort of, yeah, what are you doing? She, I'm going to keep hey, coming. Hey, like, come and talk. Like, acting like a total Whoa. creep herself. Yeah. Um, but so so you've got, she, she goes into there and he's he's got all Which, of by the way, if you had a baseline character saying, you got to just back up. you got to have someone saying that she herself is out of order. Otherwise, it just seems like, ah, oh, she's smart. She's assertive. But she's the only person in this who appears to know anything about psychology. And she doesn't. And she doesn't! Um, so, yeah, so you've got all of these, these um, bleached women in cages in various different poses, which kind of expands on this idea that they're all basically dolls and puppets. So um, we've got this this position of objectification. Now, this is hardly an uncommon theme. And again, the, Hollywood's bastardised attempts to do um, psychologically twisted serial killers always seem to come back to this idea of objectification, which is not a bad starting point. But stop pinning it all the time to people who are immensely fucked up. Because here's the thing. Objectification is everywhere. It is fucking everywhere. It is in most people's minds to some extent or another. Um, and if, if, you, if, you, if you can't acknowledge that and, and you have to displace it and say, well, people who do this are weird and twisted and are going to end up, you know, cutting bits off ladies... Um, then you, you're basically saying we don't have to address it in, a, in any kind of real life context. Any kind of situation where it could cause harm, not in a put her in a tank and bleacher context, <laughs> um, which, let's face it, is the exception rather than the rule. Um, and then you've got this, this uh, all of these, these um, uh, caged up women that she's walking through, although obviously they do represent his victims, in somebody's head, and if you're looking at analysing somebody's dreams, basically everybody in a dream is an aspect of the dreamer. So all of these women in cages are elements of him. And then, and then, as she's walking down the corridor, in his mind, a very statuesque female bodybuilder type. Is she naked or is she wearing... No, she's got the pants on. She's got the pants on. So basically she she starts walking down the corridor towards um, Catherine and you, basically the end of this you know is that she's going to grab her and it's it's meant to be sort of very threatening and, and um, disturbing that this, um, he's suddenly got this, this very powerful female um, uh, aspect that has, has come to bear and is going to try to protect him from Catherine, I suppose, is, is part of it. But it just, again, like Silence of the Lambs did with Jane Gum, it just seems to persist with this idea that the, the over-identification with, with the feminine, with women, which it, you find out later on that basically because of the abuse that he's been subject to um, from his father... He is obsessed with the idea that that he is powerless and that his father is the, the representative of power, um, and so he's possibly over identifying with these women, and by making them powerless, he is taking some power back for himself. Um, but if you play that as being as the the over identification with the women themselves being the root of all evil and resulting in twisted weirdness in men then it just it just becomes so 
repetitive and and you lose the ability to look at any other aspects of that identification with the feminine and, and I mean you you've heard me talking about integration of, of masculine and feminine within individual psyches you know how important I find the the full exploration of the entire spectrum of masculine to feminine within somebody's head to be able to put the female half in cages and say you know if you if you identify with them then that's going to fuck you up because look they're all in cages and they're all powerless and if you if you think you're powerless then you think you're like them and and if they were trying to correct any of that imbalance then they failed miserably because none of that gets explored in any depth possibly because they used up the first third of the movie with shitty police procedural and paint on a fucking bridge and dog hair <laughs> So then you've got the scene that really grimmed you out where uh, Vince Vaughn is, is telling Catherine, I, I can't even remember his name. This is the thing I've written down in my notes, everybody's by the actor's name because I couldn't remember what anybody was called. Um, so Vince Vaughn is talking about this, this guy that um, molested and then killed this little girl. Um, and he, he just describes the scene so vividly and so horribly. Was that really necessary, Vince Vaughn? Honestly, did we did we need every last you, little detail? If you don't describe it, people won't be disgusted. Yeah, um, he killed her. That would have been enough. You don't need to give us the trimmings. Um, <laughs> we don't need the stuffing and the Brussels sprouts no. and the potatoes and the cranberry, Absolutely. all of which taste like shit. <laughs> well, indeed. But but I kind of I found myself by the time he got to the end of this this impassioned little speech, I found myself wondering what what point was he trying to make here? You know, is the idea that child molesters, if they're not taken down by brave cop TM, will inevitably come back and murder their victim? Um, one of the things that he mentioned uh, before going into the whole oh yeah, lawyer tried to get him off on on uh, being insane, is that after having killed this little girl. He just sat there and waited for her parents to come home. Where the fuck were her parents? Just by the way. But anyway, waited for her parents to come home and, and call the police. And yet he's saying that he thought the insanity plea was bollocks. Right. There's got to be something missing in somebody's psychological makeup, missing or at least damaged, to do something like that and then just sit there calmly and wait for the authorities to turn up. Right. Because either you think you've not done anything wrong or you think they're not going to be able to pin it on you. N uh, neither of which Despite is the case. all evidence. In the country. <laughs> exactly. Um, or you fail to realize what's actually happened. Now, all of those, I would say, you can ascribe to somebody having something in their head that's not quite right. But, yeah, the, the, his argument is that the. The pleading not guilty by reason of insanity is something that he has no time for and cannot accept because he perceives it as getting away with, with what you've done. Now, 
generally speaking, Mm -hmm. as I understand it, if you don't go to jail because you've argued that you were insane, um, they don't just let you go home. (laughs) You're going somewhere. It will probably involve straps and padded walls. It will probably involve forced treatment of one kind or another, possibly for the rest of your life. I'm not entirely certain how that qualifies as getting away with it. And what he's really saying is he wanted him to go to jail so that he would get killed by the other inmates because of what tends to happen to people who are abusive to little children when they get to prison. What we need is for Batman to brand him. Yeah, clearly. (sighs) In case it's not obvious here, of course I am not advocating for child murderers. I absolutely believe that if you killed a child because of a mental condition, it is probably the best for you and everyone else if you are somewhere away from children and other people for a very, 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 very long time. And frankly, if you aren't judged to be mentally unfit and yet you killed a child on purpose, I'm going to call that judgment into question. It is insane to kill children. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, and then, and then they have this, this odd little discussion that is never quite clarified where, um, he says that, that the, this murderer, Gish, um, was the way he was because he'd been subject to, um, uh, sexual abuse when he was a child, um, and he thinks that's bollocks because he doesn't believe that everybody who is abused like that ends up becoming a murderer, which is about the only true statement in this film. So well done on that one, Vince Vaughn. Um, but again, it's delivered in a manner that kind of hints that possibly he has been subject to abuse and hasn't turned into a murderer himself. So again, round of applause for Vince Vaughn. You've managed not to become a murderer, which frankly, in this particular setup, is quite impressive. Um, as long as you get your Jennifer... Is that how... You want to get Jennifer Lopez's? Because that's how you get Jennifer Lopez's. <laughs> well, indeed. She goes back in. She does. And... Uh, I mean, I, I, at this point, I was just like, you've, you've tried now, Mr. Singh, so many different <laughs> explanations of why Vincent D'Onofrio is the way he is. Is it because of this virus that he had before he was born? Is it because his mother abandoned him? Is it because his father was abusive? Is it because he's schizophrenic? Is it because he was subject to religious abuse? You know, this this uh, group of churchy people who baptised him when he was about eight and you apparently really held do. him under the so water. Absolutely everything, just, don't they? Just, um, yeah, I mean, I've written here in, in capitals, make up your goddamn mind. You don't have to. It You, you are presenting a, a, a theory that it could well be all of these things woven in together. But just do it with some fucking finesse, for God's sake. <laughs> You're literally just throwing paint at the camera at this point. So you get this, um, the penultimate uh, mindscaping is um, uh, Catherine's gone in and got lost uh, immediately, because she's crap and doesn't know what she's doing. Um, and, um, and she has no way. That, there's no way of navigating for her. She just disappears into no. their mental landscape. Do you know why? Because she didn't look at the fucking blueprints before she went in. She's just nailing stuff to other stuff. Um, 
so um, yeah, so so she's she's lost, and they suddenly this brilliant moment where they all look at each other and go, "Oh my God, what are we going to do now?" And then everybody's eyes and the camera turns to the end of the room where. Despite having been in this room many times, we have never seen this before. Oh, look, there's a spare table with a spare uh, circuit board cloth. We could send another person in. Ooh. I'm going in. Um, and of oh, course... Wait, the, the dog's loose in this set. the dog! Wow, the dog's wandering around, room. shitting on the floor, Why biting their the hands. Why is the dog in that room? There, there seems Why to is be... the dog there? Why? <coughs> they don't need it. There does seem to be uh, an implication that she allows... that. Catherine allows the dog in the room because it would be comforting to um, Vincent D'Onofrio uh, to might, know that his dog is there. Be disastrous. He's, in, he's in a coma. It's not as if the dog is literally sat there with his hand on its head, which I could kind of understood. But what happens if the dog decides to start biting people? Yeah. What happens if the room looks relatively sterile? Why would you put a dog in a relatively sterile room? Get that cat out of here. I'm getting man with two brains flashbacks. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, why the dog's in the room? I have no idea. But, yeah, so so who goes in to, to try and find and rescue Jennifer Lopez? Is it one of the people who's been on this project from the word go? No, it's Vince fucking Vaughan. That's who's going in to find her and rescue her. The one man in the room who knows precisely dick about this project. Um, they, they even say that the um, the female tech who's working on the project um, basically looks at the, at the guy as if to say, I, somebody needs to go in and, and it needs to be me and I need to go and do this. And he goes, no, I need you here. For no reason... There's no reason visible that he needs her there except for the fact that we've got to send Vince Vaughn in. <laughs> oh, God. So why? But anyway, this basically what so she's... so stupid. So what, what she then does is precisely that she's done the thing that they told her not to do, um, which is to reverse the, the feed so that instead of going into his mind, she can bring him into her mind. Mm-hmm. So the, the the final showdown, and this while Vince Vaughn is in there, by the way, and and ostensibly rescuing her from being lost in Vincent D'Onofrio's mind, this is where he sees the little symbol that suddenly makes him go, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Right, let's go and do some proper police work. Please, thank you. That's what they brought you in for, um, to, to go and find where this girl might be. Um, so you, you then have the, the final interactive scene, which takes place in Catherine's psyche, and this, oh my God, right, my handwriting just descended into furious scrawl at this point. Because what happens is you go into Catherine's mind and her, her self-image in her psyche oh my God. is this very tall, very beautiful Madonna. Right, hang on, you've jumped ahead because there was the torture scene first. Oh, I jumped ahead because I didn't really want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, well, let's, I'll, no, I'll, is, I'll briefly talk about it. Yeah, yeah you, Vince, you, we've got to explain why Vince Vaughn isn't there anymore. He that's, jumps in just to get tortured. Actually, yeah, no, that's true. Go he ahead. He jumps in just to get tortured and to find out the one clue which actually helps him with the case. So he does everything, which is just basically wander into a room which conveniently tells him exactly what he needs to know. But with a logo or something, and he goes, huh, Lopez has been grabbed by horny old Vincent D'Onofrio, who's figured out that she's messing around inside his head, and he's come out as this sort of god king, and um, he, he wants to keep her captive, so he puts her like a big collar on her, and then from that point onwards, she's sort of sitting on his bed, staring glassy-eyed, like a total creep. 
and just sort of watching him do horrible things. Vince Vaughn sort of turns up and goes, hey, how's it going? We should get out of here. The, yeah, sees the logo and then gets grabbed by Vincent D'Onofrio, who's sort of like hopping from foot to foot like the fuck, like, is he Jim Carrey's Riddler? <laughs> is he Jesse Eisenberg's like Clifton? At this point, he's is now he gone Fu Manchu? He's now gone from being sort of, oh, to being a, I do love some torture me. And he suddenly Vince Vaughn gets like a bag on his head. Then he's strapped to a table, and uh, I'm actually not going to tell you what happens because, God damn you, uh, it's a horrible thing. It involves sharp things and uh, Vincent's um, uh, giblets. Um, but as he's going, oh no, this totally sucks. Uh, the, <laughs> the people outside are like, oh god, the things are happening bad to him. And like, and I was saying to them, Jennifer Lopez, you got to hurry up. He's losing a lot of dream blood at this point. <laughs> he could dream die. Yes, and, and as uh, we know, if you die in the dream, you die for real. Probably, I don't know. It's never really confirmed that one. And uh, then uh, I think she snaps out of it. He gets out of there. So does she? Does she rescue him? Does she? Oh yeah, she stabs D'Onofrio in the back with a yeah. thick. And then so he's out of there. He goes off to do the real police work and go and find this girl in the tank. Uh, spoiler warning, he finds her. He shoots the... There's an a annoying moment where she's like, it's full, filled up entirely and she's she's no longer able to go, get me out of here, mister. And she's not able to put Precious in a bucket um, because there is no Precious. The Precious is back at the, in the cell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pale, annoying dog. And uh, no, so yeah, Vince Vaughn gets in there and she's sort of breathing through a, a pipe that she's cleverly worked out, like, you know, was supplying air to the room question mark i don't know maybe it's no good it's full of steam the, the tank's completely full up she is a second away from drowning and he's hammering on the window with his police badge going it's very important that you understand i am a detective madam are you hurt are you okay she's like i'm fucking drowning you wanker you bad she's irrelevant vince vaughn just shoot shoot the glass Oh, yeah. Shoot. She doesn't care. You could be Hitler at this point. She wouldn't give a shit. Get her out of there. I just want you to know I was in Swigger. <laughs> oh, God. God. So anyway, he sheases Dime Fenster. He does indeed. And, she, and then he rescues her and yeah. he is a white knight. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, to cut a long story short, Jennifer Lopez, dressed as a nun, drowns a small boy. <laughs> And that's yes. a, the healing process, folks. Okay, can you explain oh. this sequence? Because for me, I was going, is she going to purify him? By the... No, no, she's no, drowning she's him. she's just going to drown him. And um, this is, he's in a child, the part of him she's sort of made friends with. Yeah. It, it, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So so basically, she, she goes into into her psyche. She is this, this beautiful um, Madonna figure. Um, who who's going to save the little lost boy? And um, that reminded me that in her her previous forays into Edward's um, mind, she was always dressed in white. Yeah. And and it occurred to me, this woman has no ability to self-examine. Her motives for wanting to do all of this utterly unlooked at. Not to mention the fact. That in her nun get-up, she looks, and they had no way of knowing this, it was the year 2000, she looks like a giant porg. So yeah, so she, she steps down from her pedestal, 
and she takes this little boy in her arms and they they've he's told her about an incident where um a, there was an injured bird in their house and he knew that if his dad found it he would kill it his dad's been shown as a monster by the way he's he already has beaten the living again shit this not going to go into detail but the things yeah. that it is apparent that he's doing are utterly horrendous um so he's basically the figurehead of menace he's the internal monster yeah but we never get any examination as to why he no. is the way he is. But anyway, that's... And D'Onofrio himself is, is wandering around the place, like, you know, as his internal monster personified as himself, but with de- devil horns and... Uh, yes. Again, this is where the imagery... Over-designed is. to the point of bollocks. That shit crazy, I believe, is the technical Multi-buggered, term. Multi-buggered, I believe, is my term. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so he's he's talked about the fact that he found this bird and he decided that the kind thing to do would actually be to, to put it out of its misery as gently as he could, and so he drowned it. Um, which doesn't make any sense because he's already had the incredibly terrifying incident where he was being baptised and he was held under the water for a little bit too long and started to drown. There is no reason why this child would associate drowning with gentleness. Nope. But that's totally beside the point. Um, and so... She- she, she comes down and, and takes him in her arms and she steps into this pool and he's basically looking at her with a, a beatific smile on his face and saying, it's, it's okay, you do it, that's what I want you to do. And she holds him under the water and very gently and with compassion and caring, drowns, drowns him. fuck out of him. Now, right, this atrocity of a session... Um, by the Made way, in a child, do you want to give me the address of your latest victim? Because I am currently unaware that Vince Vaughn has got the address. Yeah, the address. that's the other thing. She doesn't know at this stage that the girl is safe, which means she's utterly foregone the reason that she's there in the first place. Um, I, I think possibly Vince Vaughn may have said to her before he disappeared, oh, actually, right now I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go rescue the girl. Bye. Almost all the connective tissue in this film was mumbled. Yes. Um, so... <sighs> They basically by by this by virtue of this last bit, they have reinforced the idea that lying behind every disturbed man is a wounded little boy who basically just needs a woman who is selfless enough and self-sacrificing enough to accept him and love him enough to, you know, bring him out of himself and heal him. Now, the idea behind this is one that should absolutely fascinate me. And the reason being that I do believe that all of that is true, except, except that the woman that this wounded little boy is seeking is, in fact within that it is his internalized uh, mother figure and any other um, you know female feminine influences that he's had in his life um, and that the the to to resolve that particular conflict he has to find that woman that that feminine within himself and reconcile and accept that that's a part of him not put the burden of accepting his fucked up shit on real, external, actual women. Um, but the execution of this is a complete and utter pig fuck. It really is. It, it is just a total mess. And it is devoid of any kind of, of searching or explanation or understanding. It's just slap 
bright pictures on a screen and I, I can't even say whether my interpretation of this is right because it is ridiculously unclear. Um, and the, the race against time kidnapped girl bullshit is what gets trotted out every single time somebody wants to justify torture. Well, you see, torture is okay in this instance because there, there was a girl who might die if we don't get the information in time. The kind of psychological exploration that they could have done in this if they had just removed that ticking clock aspect and just set it up as ordinarily, here's what would happen with this person jail bam you know forget about him throw away the key we're not even going to bother trying to get to the bottom of anything but that there's characters in this film who actually want to find out how this person is built and why um and you know not necessarily that there has to be some kind of healing conclusion because sometimes there isn't um put him on some fucking meds for a start that might help and then we close on the the juxtaposition of this angelic Madonna putting these, this wounded little child out of his misery, um, and then it cuts to Vince Vaughn, heroic cop, TM, um, on his knees in the, the glass cube, uh, rescuing the damsel in distress. And then the end, the final scene <clears throat> is, after all this has been dealt with and... Um, uh, I think Catherine decides to keep his dog or something, which they say is really weird. You, you know, the amount of weird that's gone on in this film so far and the thing you're going to call it on is she decides to keep the fucking dog. What? Take a look in the mirror, Sonny Jim. Jesus. And then and it, it closes on her going back to Edward. Um, she's also... It, the implication is that by dressing in white and filling his psyche with fucking cherry blossom... Everything's going to be fucking fine. Fuck off. And that was the that was my final thought at the end of this film that had had explored. She says, finger quotes, um, all of these concepts and ideas that that um, that engage me and fascinate me. And I just thought, fuck off. <laughs> so, would you recommend the cell to the listeners? Um, I would recommend the cell to uh, fervent masochists looking for an evening of self-torture. So if you want to strap yourself to hooks on the ceiling and watch the cell. Oh, God. 46% this got on Rotten Tomatoes. I am baffled. Roger Ebert gave this four out of five stars and said it was one of his favourite films of that year. I am baffled. (laughs) By that conclusion, uh, oh, oh, God. Again, and I'm going to put part of this down to the fact that, you know, Silence of the Lambs got away with some very poor psychology in its day. Um, And this does the same thing. But at least Silence of the Lambs was backed up with a solid script and some outstanding performances and some really engaging thematic ideas. This is just crap. It's just... Sounds of the Lambs felt much more carefully researched, much more grown up, much less kind of throwing in shit because it sounds cool. Mm. And And Manhunter certainly did. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Manhunter unfortunately suffers from that soundtrack, but it, well, uh, yeah. and, it, and it has dated like crazy. But, it has. Uh, it's it's quirky. Yeah. I quite like the soundtrack actually, but it yeah. does make it feel very weird and four a.m. all mm. the time. But then again, you kind of want Manhunter to be weird and yes. alienating. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. And it's Michael Mann, which means it's always going to be better than yeah. this, which is, what did we say was like being smacked in the face with a bag of Skittles? Uh, Speed Racer? Speed no, Race. that Speed Racer was like being shot in the face with a bag of Skittles from a blunderbuss. Right, okay. This is like being shot in the face with fish hooks. Ow! <laughs> yeah. Stupid ones. Um, <laughs> just, oh, just, oh... However, Silence of the Lambs is still hugely contributory to a climate of trans panic and hatred in the 90s, which abides to this day 30 years after Silence of the Lambs. Because a serial killer is depicted as wishing to become female, the very idea of that principle is warped, twisted, and made utterly insidious and unnatural to the general public. So as good as the film is, it has done lasting damage within our culture, and for most of them, the general audience is not expected to absorb the nuance between the differences of an entirely harmless trans woman who are statistically far, far more likely to be the victims of violence than the perpetrators. And in most cases, a cishet man disguised as a woman so he can get access to women's bathrooms and kill them, which just keeps coming on up. The music you're hearing now is the score for The Silence of the Lambs, by Howard Shaw, who also scored The Cell. You completely forgot about the point where she literally beats the shit out of and kills his bad side. Oh my god, I did! Oh! What does... I don't even remember it very well. What does she... She just stabs him with things, doesn't she? Well, no. At the end, the inner child says, the bad person is coming, my inner demon is coming. And she says, don't worry. Lock and load, sucker! And... Oh, she just jumps up and kicks his ass and does, like, roundhouse kick in here. Yeah, she... she yeah. I applaud the fact that they eventually re-empowered Jennifer Lopez. In fact, she probably wouldn't have done this film without that. But psychologically speaking, she's taking the bad side of a serial killer, beating him to the ground, mm. and then impaling him. Yes, and entirely pointlessly because they do all this in her head. When he goes back into his head, it's all still there. No, he doesn't go back into his head because he's dead. She kills him. She kills his bad side, then she drowns his good side. Wow. Best therapist in the world. Best therapist <laughs> ever. Oh, my God. Oh, there was that one bit with the horse because the writer or director just saw Damien Hurst in the newspaper and went, oh, look, the bit with the horse. We'll take a horse. And then for no reason at all, the horse is just sort of sit standing there in the room. We'll throw a bunch of glass in there and then divide the horse into 10 sections, all of which are still alive and just perfectly calm because we can. It's just, just some weird shit to throw on the screen. If this had a sense of actual authorial control, like, like it was aiming for something other than just putting things on screen for you to go ooh at. Oh. And you have stories and films and ideas that do explore uh, through myth and art and imagery uh, deeper meanings of things that are open to interpretation. 
Christmas Carol is a really good example of, of, of something which is actually very psychologically sound before Freud really started working. Yeah, but Scrooge isn't being psychoanalyzed, is my point. They don't have actual psychologists in the film going, so tell me about your mother, Ebenezer. No, yeah, not, not claiming to psychology. No, it's rare. It's rare that you combine mythology with psychology. Yeah, you know why? Because it's hard. You've got to specialise in be one careful. or the other. If you know jack about either, people are going to get annoyed with you. Just don't do it. Just don't. If you can't do it, don't do it. I wouldn't make a film about agriculture and the Russian mafia. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, hang on. <clears throat> Let me settle in. So you didn't like it then? I did not. I'm going to strongly suggest that everyone track down Hustlers from 2019 for a truly triumphant contemporary Jennifer Lopez performance. And for good measure, find Steven Soderbergh's 1998 film Out of Sight for the one that put her on the map. Both films are genuinely excellent. To finish off, I will once again recommend Tarsem Singh's film The Fall and see it in high definition as well. This is a film that needs to be able to fly do see that it combines a greater measure of striking imagery with the exploration of a mind that is not that of a tedious, hook-hanging, bleach-wanking serial killer. Now, I did a smattering of reading up on the world of full-body suspension, and it apparently can induce amazing highs, though nobody mentioned a feeling of weightlessness. The lead singer of Jane's Addiction engages in it. There are, however, countless dangers and a high likelihood of either being overwhelmed by the experience, which seems entirely understandable, or conversely, underwhelmed by it. Like, you're dangling there thinking to yourself, is this it? Oh, Christ, it's going to take ages to get down off this thing. I just want to watch Shit's Creek right now, and I'm just... Uh, get me off! So, you have a serial killer movie for me? Yes, sir, I do. It's the year 2000, as you and I both know, and the 1990s has been a steady stream of serial killer thrillers, starting with Silence of the Lambs in 91, and Ricochet in 91, and Copycat in 95, and Seven in 95, and Kiss the Girls in 97, and Fallen in 98, and The Bone Collector in 99. However, it feels like we're at the beginning of a new decade, time for a change, so maybe we should at least leave it for a few years until we have a good story to tell, you know, with engaging characters so that we can establish tension as we gaze into the dark heart of man. Yeah, but we like money. Oh, I'm convinced of our motives now. Well, there's this man played by Vincent D'Onofrio and you see he kills women by slowly drowning them and then doing very, very unpleasant things. No, oh, doing very, very unpleasant things to women is tight. It is disturbing that you picked that part of my pitch to declare that particular catchphrase, sir. It is, yes. Would you like to read this memo with a lengthy description of what he does so we can keep this gag from getting too dark? I I would. Okay, here you go, sir. Oh my god. Pretty gruesome, isn't it? Oh, a very gruesome series of strange and cruel things to do. So this hero, what does he do next? Oh, he's not a hero, sir. We have a social worker named Catherine Dean, played by Jennifer Lopez. And she likes to jump into the minds of her victims. I mean patients. And she's been trying to get a little boy out of a coma by invading his brain with computers. And she wants his parents, who are funding her operation, to allow the feed to be reversed, thus flinging a comatose boy's apparently virally schizophrenic subconscious into the mind of Jennifer Lopez. That sounds like an ethical nightmare. It would be, sir, if we had any ethics. 
So the serial killer, Carl Rudolf Starger, gets caught by the police at the same time he falls into a convenient coma. Oops. Oopsie. And the police ask Catherine Dean to jump into his mind because they don't know where his last victim is. And she's in a cell and it's filling up with water and there's a ticking clock. Oh, now this sounds interesting to me. It seems like we could get a really good movie out of that. You mean jumping into people's subconscious and exploring astonishing dream vistas with jaw-dropping photography? No, the time limit torture devices. It kind of sounds like this could spawn a whole franchise of movies where hapless victims are stuck inside overly exotic death traps. Just screaming and screaming and... And screaming. I saw that, sir. How about you put a syringe in it for later? Isn't the idiom putting a pin in it? I prefer syringes. Getting creeped out now, sir. Understandably. So what does Catherine do inside the twisted mind of this serial killer? Well, she sees all this crazy stuff like a horse and a room and the killer's previous victims arranged in a ritualistic fashion. In his museum of horrors and just, you know, all kinds of things like that. And if you die inside a person's mind, you die for real. That is a thing people say. Then she befriends his inner child but gets caught by his bad side and brainwashed into forgetting the real world. So this cop, played by an already haggard-looking Vince Vaughn, is gonna dive into the killer's mind after her. Wait, he's gonna just dive into the mind of a serial killer? Navigating what you've said here is the neural cartography and synaptic transfer system with zero training montages? It seems like that would be extremely challenging. Both technologically and physiologically. Actually, it's gonna be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Well, thank God he's in there to save the day. Oh no, he immediately gets caught by the killer and starts being tortured to death. Oh, a very inconvenient turn of events. But then Catherine snaps out of it and she and Vince Vaughn arbitrarily solve the case with some kind of clues about the cell that we just leave in the killer's mindscape. So he goes off to rescue the girl. Then Catherine reverses the feed and pulls the killer into her own mind. That sounds very complicated. How are we going to show that? I don't know. This all sounds like you had an act two and an act three and didn't know how to get from one to the other and just rushed it into being. Well, that's that's what I've written, so I'd appreciate it if you get all the way up off my back about it. Cheerfully withdrawn. So what's going on in Catherine's mind now? Well, his inner child that she made friends with tells her how he once drowned an injured bird as a mercy killing to save it from being killed by his abusive father. So do you see, that's why he does that to women. That's why he does that to women? Mm, yeah, uh-huh. With the hooks and the chains and the videotapes of their deaths and the spanking of the monkey? Yes, indeed, sir. Wow, 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 wow. And then the killer's bad side, a manifestation of his father's abuse, turns up and Catherine just, she just kills the living shit out of him. That makes sense. But that also mortally wounds the little boy. So she has to drown him like a little injured bird, whilst also dressed as a nun for some reason? Again, I'm disturbed that you're jumping to these conclusions, sir. It just seems like the best of possible endings. Plus it sends all the right messages about mental illnesses and their treatments. And it's important that we cement the idea that multiple personality disorders should always be be associated with predatory violence. That was our intention, sir. Well, it sounds like with Tarsem Singh directing, Jennifer Lopez starring, and Howard Shore scoring it, then on a budget of 30 million, you could easily make a hundred million, which would mean immediate high-profile sequel town for you. It certainly seems that way, sir. It's not like The Cell 2 would be made straight to DVD nine years from now on zero budget and featuring none of those people. School of Movies is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. I'm doing this like Anthony Hopkins for some reason. Enjoy. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, 
Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett. I sound more like Henry Higgins. Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasko, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And next week we have Murder on the Orient Express, that's the astonishing new Kenneth Branagh one, and a big new announcement. So to play us out, I went to what little of the soundtrack could be assembled on YouTube, and I found in this playlist a song I'm pretty sure wasn't in the movie The Cell, but I'll trust YouTube. When has it ever lied to us? See you next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Call it home, and there's no more lies in the darkness.